Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. So the last two weeks, we had been talking about the blood atonement. And I talked a little bit during one of those uh, messages about the, the um, deconstructionism. And we talked about how that's a, a, a way of looking at, it could be any belief, but Christianity, trying to take it piece by piece. And what is happening is a lot of people are trying to reject foundational parts. And I was thinking about what that's like. Now, as a, as a preacher, it is my job to present the truths of Scripture. So in a, in a sense, I'm a bit like a camera. I look at this, I take a picture at God's Word, and then I project it out and I explain it. Now, how many of you guys know what a filter is? Nowadays, cameras don't just take a picture of what they see and show it to you. Nowadays, you can add a filter. So I, nowadays, we use Zoom. How many of you have ever been in a, in a Zoom call or a video conference call of any kind? Did you know that you can replace your background? So let me just tell you, at our house, my wife works uh, from, she has an office at the house, and then uh, there's not a, an extra one. So when both of us are working from home, I have to go somewhere else. Well, most of the, the kids are usually at, at school, so I sit at one of the desks in one of my kids' office, or well, it's his office, his bedroom. Behind me is like a loft bed. Well, that's not overly professional when I'm doing a Zoom call with you know, the city leaders in Holland or whatever group I'm doing. So I found out I can switch out the background. I can have a picture. It'll, it'll automatically show my face, but the background won't be my son's bedroom. I can put a beautiful scenery picture, picture of all of this beautiful color. I can, I can put something else in there. I know some places you can pick, like, the apartment from famous TV shows. You could have Jerry Seinfeld's apartment look like you're sitting there. Or you can be in, in the, the apartment from Friends or whatever. You just put whatever you want. And what you look like, you're getting a picture that looks a lot like what's actually happening, but it's altered. It's not the same. And as a pastor, I need to be careful that I don't become a filter for the Scripture and, and avoid topics that are unpleasant. You know what? I'm going to show you the Scripture, but I'm going I'm to just hide this other part. And when we were talking last week, I was, I was talking about some of the, the foundational concepts of Scripture that are currently under attack. It's becoming more and more popular for Christianity, for people within Christianity, to look at our belief system and then purposely filter out certain portions of it and be like, well, I'm going to take it all except for the blood covenant and the atonement. I'm going to take all of it except for the reliability of Scripture. And I'm going to take all of it except for the existence of hell. And I was looking over what we've been teaching on, and I realized 
we, we were talking about the blood covenant the last two weeks. A few months back, we talked about the reliability of Scripture. And I know we've made reference to it, but what we have not talked about specifically was eternal judgment. So, it's not my favorite topic. I don't love talking about it, but it's real, it's there, and it's important that we understand what Scripture says about eternity, about heaven or hell. So, I'm going to go. The Bible actually mentions hell, Hades, Sheol, Gehenna are all words that it uses to describe hell. And it mentions it over 50 times. Of those 50 plus times that that hell is mentioned, 33 of them are mentioned by Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus gets more detailed about hell than anybody else. We know the majority of what scripture shows us about hell comes from Jesus himself. It's important to recognize what Matthew 25, verse 41 tells us. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed and into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The purpose of hell was to punish the devil and his angels for their rebellion. The goal was not for us. Another important concept and question to ask is how long does hell last? Because this is clear in scripture, but debated amongst Christians. Matthew 25, 44 through 46 says, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, here's what it says. It says there is eternal punishment, but it also says there is eternal life. They're both eternal, both described with the same thing. How many of you look forward to being in heaven? Being in God's presence eternally. And I think by the looks of it, I don't expect to get all the way through everything that I would have to say about heaven. So we'll probably talk about heaven more next week. But here's what we need to understand. A lot of Christians, we're excited about an eternal heaven. But then we want to say, well, but hell will probably be temporary. I wish that was true. But it's not what the Bible says. It says that eternal punishment and eternal life. Matthew 9.43 says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better that you enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell into the fire. That shall never be quenched. How many of you ever seen the bumper sticker, Love Wins? You ever notice that one? It actually started here in, in West Michigan. First time I saw it, I loved it. I was like, well, yeah. (laughs) Right? Years later, 
the, 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 the fellow who popularized that wrote a book and explained what he meant. And what he meant by that was, well, if God loves, then in the end, he'll do something nice for everyone no matter what. Hell either doesn't exist or it isn't permanent. That's what he meant. And he also meant that all forms of love are to be equally accepted, and he became very pro forms of love that are prohibited in the scripture as being contrary to God's desire for us. And, and it was kind of one of these frustrating moments where it's like, well, you didn't really clarify what you meant, and I, I thought I could agree with you at first. And then once I realized what you mean, no, that, that isn't, doesn't align with what Scripture says. It's a popular concept for people to, to think, well, you know, hell or punishment will be temporary, but reward will be eternal. And again, man, I wish that was true. And if it was, I'd be excited to tell you. But I have to present accurately what the Scripture says. And the Scripture doesn't say that. Matthew chapter 13, 49 through 50 says, This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and will separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelations chapter 21 verse 8 says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice the magic arts, the adulterers, idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is at the end of the parable of the talents, when it's talking about the return of the master and the judgment it says in Matthew 25, 30, it says, And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The, the master returns, and those who were judged were cast out of his presence into darkness. The Bible says that he is light. In a sense, I, I think of it this way. That eternal punishment is eternal separation from the light. In my simple mind, I think of eternity. God is light, He has no communion with darkness. And if I am still filled with sin, guilty of sin, then I don't have communion or relationship with God. And when I pass into eternity, there is a barrier between me and God. Eternal life is eternal connection, communion with God. Eternal death is eternal separation from God. Hell is where those who have no communion with God will be. 2 Peter 
2.4. Actually, I didn't write that one. I'm going to jump to Psalms 9.17. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forgot God. 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When we are separated from our body, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If there is no longer a barrier between you and God, when you die, you enter a state of togetherness with the Lord that is eternal. We're going to read a story that, and I, I, don't, I hesitate to say a story, read an account in Luke chapter 16 that Jesus tells. Now, Jesus told many parables, and parables were stories designed to teach a lesson. And Jesus would start those parables saying something like this. He would say, and the kingdom of heaven is like... He'd say, it's like a man who sowed a seed. And then he'd go on to tell the story or the parable of the sower. And it says, you know, and some of the seed fell on this kind of ground and some of the seed fell on this kind of ground. Now, he was telling a story and he was describing what heaven was like with a parable. But it's interesting that when Jesus gives this account, he doesn't say it is like. Instead, in verse Uh, 19, he says, there was a certain rich man. Do you notice the difference? It wasn't, this is a, here's a a little interesting story that you can relate to, and I'm going to, for example, he doesn't say, for example, or, or this is like that. He says, there was a certain rich man. So in verse 19, it says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in a luxury every day. At the gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. He gave the beggar's name, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Then came, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him away to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham afar away with Lazarus by his side. And he called to him and said, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between you, uh, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot and those, anyone coming, wanting to cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone come from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to the prophets... To Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, we learn a lot about what it's like after death. Some people say, what do do we look like 
Are we a ghost? You know, most look like a sheet floating around. Well, here's what he said. Notice something. First of all, they recognized each other. The rich man saw afar off Lazarus and recognized him. He knew who he was looking at. Now, I believe that's because the spiritual body resembles enough the physical body that he, he recognized him. Now, a lot of people said, well, then how old will I be? You know, which recognize? Because, you know, we realize we, are, we change over time. And I don't know the answer. I've heard it hypothesized that we would be a, an ideal age. Many people have said, said they think that we would be 33 because that's the age at which Jesus died and received his glorified body. I don't know. In fact, it's interesting that Jesus and uh, John the Baptist were cousins. Their, their mothers were pregnant with each other at the same time. And when the mothers met during their pregnancy, the Bible says that John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb. His spirit was there with his body already. And his spirit recognized the arrival of Jesus' spirit. Now, they didn't, he didn't recognize him visually, but there was a spiritual knowledge of who was there. So is it possible that that's how they recognized him? It is possible. I was just sharing about that scripture. I'm going to just throw out a rabbit trail of an interesting thing. If Jesus and John the Baptist had their spirits with their body prior to birth, then those of us who have had children, who may have been stillborn, we recognize they had a spirit, they were eternal, and I believe, just like John the Baptist knew Jesus, that as parents, when we reach heaven, we will recognize those people as well. David lost a baby, and his servants went to him and said, they asked him about his reaction. And David said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. So if you wonder biblically, from a biblical standpoint, those two scriptures show us that infants in the womb have a spirit. We recognize that a spirit is eternal. When our physical heartbeat as a, as a born and running around human stops, our spirit separates from our body, but we don't cease to exist. We go to spend eternity with him. The same thing would be true of those babies. And David shows us that we can expect to see them with the father because David says that his baby is with the father and he will go to him, but the baby won't come to him. So, sidebar. 
Luke, or we just read the whole thing. So I just got my train of thought back. We were talking about uh, the rich man and Lazarus. We were talking about how the fact that they were noticed. It also says, let him take his finger and touch my tongue. He's referring to the same types of body parts that you and I have. Our spirit has the same. Paul, when, when he was describing some of the visions and some of the experiences he had when he was taken up to heaven and wrote in, in Revelation, he said, whether I was in my body or outside of my body, I don't know. If he couldn't tell which body he was in, they ought to be awfully similar, don't you think? He says, I went to heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Because his spiritual body was similar. Jesus, when he was raised from the dead in a glorified body, the Bible tells us he walked, the the disciples were in a locked room and he walked through the door. Remember that? He walks right through the wall. He enters. That wasn't a regular body. But when they saw him, they recognized it. He pointed to the scars that he had gotten in his physical body. So I do believe that we can stand in Scripture and understand when it comes to life after death, we have a spiritual body. That spiritual body will resemble our physical body, will be recognizable to each other. But it's, it's important to recognize that there was no passage after death between those two. Matthew 25, 20, 46, we read it all, uh, already, but it says, and they will go to eternal judgment and eternal life. They are both equally eternal. We can't have one without the other. We can't be like, well, I want eternal life, but I don't want eternal judgment. I wish, I wish that was an option, but that's not what Scripture says. Psalms 9.17 says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Second Corinthians 5.8 says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord, you know what that means? Nobody sticks around to haunt a house. Just, that's truth. We don't stick around and haunt a house. We don't have to cover mirrors to keep a spirit from going you know, seeing itself and sticking around. We don't have to... I've been to funerals where people said, now don't mention their name because they're on their way to the afterlife and they hear their name. They might turn around and come back and then they don't get where they're going. So don't say their name for a while. Okay, the Bible... I'm not trying to mock anyone's belief. I'm just pointing out these beliefs exist. The scripture tells us the truth and the truth is otherwise. 
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Again, I do want to make that clear. I'm not mocking someone's belief. I'm trying to clarify. This is what the scripture says. These are the beliefs that are out there. We don't have to hold those beliefs because we see we have the truth to stand them up against. Jude chapter 1 refers to everlasting chains of darkness. And the angels who did not keep their position of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for the judgment on the great day. Ecclesiastes 11.3 says, Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. And now we're talking about trees? What it's saying is when we die, that is when our eternal destiny is sealed. Prior to dying, we can repent. We can be right with God. Here's the thing. It's not about our good works. No matter how bad our sin is, we can be forgiven. But no matter how small our sin is, it can separate us from God if we do not accept his forgiveness. You must still be flesh and blood to experience forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 16 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. Why did Jesus put on a body like ours? So that he could have impact in our lives, acquire for us forgiveness of sin while we were still in a body like ours. It says that he might break the power of him who holds power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. I'm going to talk, I think, most likely next week, we're going to talk more about heaven. It's interesting. There is heaven that exists up. But when we look in Scripture, we find out that much of eternity we're going to spend on a recreated earth here. Heaven isn't a bunch of clouds. Heaven is the paradise that was intended when God created the earth and put Adam and Eve in it. Revelation 21, 1 through 2 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Then it goes on to describe how it comes to earth. Revelation chapter 20, 12 through 15. It says, And I saw the dead, and a great and small standing before the throne, and books, plural, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death in Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is clarifying. The place that uh, the rich man whose story we heard went was Hades. This was a temporary place until this judgment time. And then everyone comes forth. The judgment is declared. And then there is the lake of fire, the permanent um, place. It says, they were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is where people get confused. They think whether they end up in the lake of fire is determined by the books, plural, and everything they did. Did you notice that it did talk about a book or books that had our works and that there would be judgment based on our works? If that was the case, if our works were what placed us in or out of eternal judgment, then it would be by works, correct? Okay, but we know that Scripture says it is not by works so that no one can boast. But this very passage says, in verse 15, it says, anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of the fire. When we accept the blood atonement for our sin, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That book, plural or singular, the existence of our name in that book is what determines where. Period. Well, what do the what do the works then do? What do the books? What's the point? The the point of our works is not whether we spend eternity in heaven or in hell. That's determined by the book. What do our works determine then? The Bible talks about rewards. And we'll talk maybe about this next week when it comes to, to in heaven, how the meaningless works were burnt up like chaff and then they were rewarded. Realize Heaven isn't a communist compound. It's not. Uh, it, it is a wonderful place. Everyone there, there is no suffering. There's no tears. That, no one's going to be like, oh, I'm miserable here because I'm not. I didn't get as many jewels in my crown as he did. But you know something? He might have more jewels in his crown than I do. And the Bible talks also about the darkness and how 
the blackest. Let's read here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. It says, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Bazar. Who was Balaam? Balaam was a, a prophet of God who, for the sake of financial gain, twisted what God was telling him and tried to serve the enemies of Israel. If you remember the story, Balaam was hired by the enemies of Israel to try and curse Israel. Verse 16, it says, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. You remember that? The donkey, God gave the donkey speech. An animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. The blackest darkness is reserved for them. Who is judged the most harshly, according to this scripture? Those who had the, the role of being spiritual leaders and then leading people the wrong way. The Bible talks about, you know, being careful to those who, who have, as, as a pastor, I will be judged for misleading you should I mislead you. I need to be careful. Not, that's why I do messages like this one that I don't like doing. <laughs> to be honest, where's, is Eric still here? Yeah, I met Eric in the back. He's like, this is my first time here. And I'm thinking, oh, his first time here, I get to preach on the topic I least like talking about. But if I refuse, if I don't, and I lead someone to stumble because I'm unwilling to talk about the unpopular topic of, of eternal judgment, that's wrong. There are degrees of darkness and suffering in hell. There are different rewards to be given out in heaven, and those are determined by the books, plural. But our presence in God's presence or apart from his presence in eternal judgment, that is not determined by my, my good works. We don't just be, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so much better off than Hitler, so I'm good. That's not it. The Bible says it is the presence of my name in the book, the book, that determines whether I experience eternal life or eternal death. Again, what is death? Death is separation. Adam and Eve had communion with God. They were in relationship with God. The Bible says that every day, this is how we were created to have. God created this beautiful world and he put Adam and Eve in it and he would come down in the cool of the afternoon and he would talk to them on a daily basis. They were in communion with him. And then they chose to sin. And God had warned them. He said, if you do this, you will surely die. 
And they were instantly separated from God. The communion that they had before was no longer there. The Bible says that Adam and Eve hid from God. They, had, they experienced spiritual death, separation. Later, when their spirits separated from their bodies, they experienced physical death. But again, physical death isn't the ceasing to exist. Physical death is the separation of my spiritual being from my physical being. It's separation. What is eternal death? It's not a ceasing to exist. It's a separation an eternal separation from God. John 3, 16 through 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whosoever that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It is not God's purpose, it is not God's goal, it is not God's desire to condemn. But he is righteous, he is holy, and our choice to reject his forgiveness can and will condemn some of us. But the Bible says that was not his purpose in sending his son. His, the purpose was to save the world through him. John three thirty six. a few verses later, it says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Notice how that's phrased. They will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. God is actively seeking to atone for our sin. He actively sent his son to die and atone for our sin. He asks us, he invites us to accept that forgiveness so that our name will be written in the book. How many of you know that you have done what Scripture says and you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Praise God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Another scripture puts it this way, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. That is what's needed. So as, Lamb, as Ecclesiastes puts it, when the tree falls, when you die, you will be right with God. Your sin will be forgiven. Your name is in that book. Yes, your works will be judged and you'll be rewarded in heaven based on some of that. Some people may show up in heaven and they're like, you know what, I was forgiven, but I don't got much left. 
they're still going to be glad to be there. And there's going to be some people, and the Bible tells their story of how they're going to be surprised. They thought that doing some good things was going to make a difference. But doing good things may be recorded in the books, but that's not what puts your name in the book. So if you don't know with certainty that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, I want to invite you to do what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Believe in His atoning sacrifice for you. With every eye closed, just for a moment, if that's you, and you say, I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you want to know that, raise your hand, and we will pray that prayer today. If you're watching online, listening, I want to invite you to do the same thing. Just repeat with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He paid with his blood for my sin. I accept that forgiveness. I choose to live for you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right.